It's Monday, April 11th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. The last day of Maryland's legislative session is finally here, and Democratic lawmakers closed out with wins on big agenda items, from climate change to paid family leave to increased access to abortion care. Baltimore County Councilwoman Kathy Bevins is found to have violated charter by moving outside of her district. But there's no precedent for punishment. The state's COVID-19 positivity rate continues to rise. Cases remain low, but the new Omicron BA2 subvariant is slowly driving numbers up. We'll hear from Dr. Lena Wen on how we navigate this stage of the pandemic. It's the Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. For weeks, Maryland's testing positivity rate for COVID-19 has been below 2%, but it's also been creeping up continuously since the beginning of April. As of this morning, it stands at 2.42%, nearly twice what it was three weeks ago, according to the state health department. Hospitalizations this month have hovered between 130 and 150 patients. Today, 142 people are hospitalized with COVID. Ten of the patients are children. Maryland's vaccination rate stands at 92 percent for those five and older. A slim majority of those fully vaccinated still haven't received a first booster. The Senate gave final approval today to a bill banning dangerous chemicals known as per- and polyfluoroalkyls, or PFAS, in Maryland, sending it to Governor Larry Hogan's desk. WYPR's Callan Tenzel Suttoth reports lawmakers were working their way through stacks of bills as they approached adjournment at midnight. Under the bill PFAS, synthetic chemicals used to prevent leakage in takeout containers and in firefighting foam will no longer be allowed in the state beginning July 1st it received heavy support from firefighters. On the final day of the 2022 session, the General Assembly raced to pass bills, including a heavily amended bill that would grant students excused absences for mental health reasons, a bill that would establish a fund to assist HIV-positive residents with obtaining care, and a bill that would create a commission to establish a Maryland Women Veterans Memorial. On Saturday, lawmakers in both chambers voted by wide margins to override all vetoes Governor Larry Hogan delivered the day before. The legislative session adjourns for the year at midnight. For WYPR News, I'm Callan tansel Suttoth. Baltimore City Public Schools has cut ties with one of its bus contractors over safety concerns. The school district notified reliable transportation as students begin spring break, but it leaves questions as to how the district will cover more than 50 bus routes Reliable was contracted to cover. It will also mean that more than 1,000 students will have to find another way to school next week. School officials say they pulled the contract after Reliable failed to meet state safety requirements and standards or provide consistent bus service. Reliable said it was attempting to address the issues before the district canceled the contract. After years of talks, plans are moving forward on redeveloping the Park Heights community around Pimlico Racecourse. A joint effort between the Mana Bible Baptist Church and the Bridges Community Development Corporation calls for the renovation of vacant homes on Spalding Avenue for low-income homebuyers and the building of 150 affordable rental units. The price tag on the proposed development stands at $10 million. A long-awaited legal opinion by Baltimore County Attorney James Benjamin finds that when Democratic Councilwoman Kathy Bevins moved out of her district last summer, she violated the county charter. But as WYPR's John Lee reports, 
Benjamin says there is no legal precedent requiring the removal of Bevins from office. Benjamin says this happened once before in the 1960s when a councilman moved out of his district but remained in office. Also, there are notes from the writing of the charter that indicate the residency requirement is to make sure the county's seven council districts are represented. Bevins continued her six district duties when she briefly lived in an adjoining district. Benjamin advised possibly amending the charter to clarify how a vacancy is determined and how a council member can be removed. But Democratic County Council Chairman Julian Jones says leave that to the voters. There's power in the fact that when the citizens elect somebody, only the citizens can get rid of them. Bevins is not running for re-election. John Lee, WIPR News. One of the nation's leading beverage makers is opening up a facility in Baltimore County. Niagara Bottling will be located in a 600,000-square-foot building at Trade Point Atlantic. The facility is expected to open next spring and create 90 jobs over the next few years. As you prepare to drive this coming Easter weekend, know that gas prices are expected to rise to around $4 a gallon. The hike comes just as Maryland's gas tax holiday will expire. AAA says the average price nationally dropped 10 cents since last Monday. The current average in Baltimore is 3.71, which is also down 6 cents since last week. What's being called a super spreader event in Washington, D.C. is a stark reminder that more than two years into the coronavirus pandemic, we are not out of the woods. Following last year's Gridiron Club dinner in Washington, D.C., about a dozen political heavy hitters who attended tested positive for COVID, including Attorney General Merrick Garland, the U.S. Secretaries of Commerce and Agriculture, and the Communications Director for Vice President Harris. As of Saturday night, 67 attendees had tested positive, more than 10% of the guests. So, as spring is upon us, which means we are attending more large group gatherings indoors and out and without masks, how do we keep ourselves safe and healthy? As a precaution, Philadelphia today became the first major U.S. city to reinstate an indoor mask mandate. And what are the risks posed by asymptomatic people and the new BA2 subvariant? To help us sort through this is Dr. Lena Wen, the emergency physician, public health advocate, author and professor at the George Washington University's Milken Institute School of Public Health, joined host Tom Hall for the Midday Health Watch. There's actually a lot that we already know about BA2, which, as you mentioned, is a subvariant of the Omicron um, variant that we saw before, which the original one we called BA1. So with any new variant, we ask three questions. One, is it more transmissible? Two, does it cause more severe disease? And three, do the existing vaccines that we have provide adequate protection against it? And in this case, BA2 is actually very similar to BA1. So first, it is more contagious. It appears to be even more more transmissible than the original Omicron. However, second, it does not cause more severe disease compared to previous variants like the Delta variant and actually causes milder disease for the individual. And the great news for number three is that um, is that the existing vaccines, especially the vaccine plus that first booster, provide exceptional protection against severe illness. And I think that's the most important part. So how do we know which variant we are dealing with at any given time? 
Does a new variant wipe out the previous ones, or are we susceptible to many strains at once? say on aggregate, we don't fully know, right? Just because we don't know the trajectory of COVID. It's been around for two plus years, but we don't fully understand how it's going to look going forward. Based on historical precedent with COVID, we are seeing that something that's more transmissible does di displace the previous variants. And so when Omicron took over, for example, it really displaced Delta and 99% plus of new infections were the original Omicron variant. Already in the U.S., 72% of all the the new infections are BA2. And so it does look like something that's more contagious will pretty fully displace what came before it. Dr. Wen says we cannot look to places in Europe and Asia that are experiencing huge case surges and lockdowns as an exact comparison or precursor of what's to come in the U.S. because there are differences in infection rates. Yeah, so let's explain what's happening in China. It's a, it's the same concept, but a similar, um, but a slightly different outcome to what's happening in Europe, and I think very different to what could happen here in in the U.S. China has been pursuing from the very beginning a zero COVID strategy. One could argue that perhaps in the first year that perhaps it was effective. I mean, they were able to stamp down this huge um, spike initially. Remember that China was one of the first places that COVID affected. They were able to really stamp out the cases and were successful in the zero COVID strategy. Then the hope was that enough people would be vaccinated and that would protect against future surges. The problem, though, are, um, is threefold. One is that not that many people got vaccinated in China, including the elderly who are particularly vulnerable. Two is that the vaccines that they have predominantly in China are not as effective as the ones that we have here. And I think the third is what we're now seeing with Omicron and BA2, that they are just so contagious that populations that haven't recently experienced surges are going to see surges because of how quickly this escalates. And so this is why China, where the vast majority of people have not experienced COVID because of zero COVID, in the light of Omicron, zero COVID is just not working. I would not be surprised if China pretty soon abandons a zero COVID strategy because it's not going to work. I mean, the number of cases that they're reporting, it's really just the tip of the iceberg. And I think they're going to find out that they cannot control um, the infections there. In the UK, Dr. Wen says there are a higher number of people who are vaccinated and boosted than in the US, and probably fewer people who were infected enduring Omicron. And so the people who are not infected in this last wave are now getting infected now. And I think this is actually what we need to prepare for in the US too. I think, again, a lot of people got Omicron, but those of us who did not get Omicron in this last surge, I believe that it's only a matter of time before we get COVID as well. And I don't say this in a, um, a fatalistic way, rather that people should prepare. Because of how contagious BA2 is, we should prepare for what happens when we get exposed to it, as in make sure that we are vaccinated and boosted. Make sure that we have tests that are available so that you can take tests, in, especially if there's a surge in the future, make sure you stock up on tests now. Um, if you are going out to see vulnerable individuals, visiting people in a nursing home or immunocompromised relatives, test before you go see them, especially if you're otherwise engaging in higher risk activities like going to restaurants 
restaurants and and events, um, and also have a plan for treatment. Are you eligible for Paxlovid and antiviral treatments? Are you eligible for monoclonal antibodies? Where would you get them? I would contact your primary care physician now. Know what treatments you're eligible for. Know how to access them. That's the kind of planning we should be making because I believe it's a matter of when all of us are going to be exposed to COVID. You can hear the full interview with Dr. Lena Wen on midday at wypr.org. We're always happy to hear from you, and we'll be here for you again on Wednesday. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Callan Tanzel suddeth Our digital content director is Jamila Kremple, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening.